Welcome everyone to our Christmas service. Um, I hope you've been well. Merry Christmas to you. Just to remind you that today is our Christmas Sunday service and then this Friday is our Christmas Day service. And so please uh, make sure to join us online on Friday. We won't be coming in person on Friday, but please join us online as we worship together. Um, Today, uh, for our Christmas sermon, we have a word from John 1. So at home, um, if you want to turn to your your Bibles or if you want to join us uh, looking at the screen, um, please open up your copy of God's Word. And if you're new and you haven't been to church ever um, and you don't have a copy of God's Word, I just want to first say welcome uh, to our service. You can just read along with us in John 1, starting at verse 9. I'm just going to read to you some sentences from the Gospel of John. It says, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, there's a Christmas song that I thought um, was written a long, long time ago. Like, I thought this Christmas song was written like hundreds of years ago, like one of those old um, uh, folk songs that we use for Christmas. And, and you all know the song. It's the song that goes, do you know, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Right? Um, it's, it's a song um, that I thought was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but actually it wasn't. I found out this week um, that actually it was written just in the 60s. Um, and it was written by a couple who was asked by a music company to write a song about Christmas. Um, there were a couple living in New York City, a young couple, but they felt bad about writing the song. And the reason they felt bad about writing the song is because when they were asked to write the song, it was at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was at the height of probably the scariest time um, in American history until that time. And they were told, um, asked to write this cheery Christmas song in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so they they were not sure about how to do this. and, And they weren't really sure if they even wanted to do it. But actually the great story behind the song is that they found Christmas hope in the process of writing this song together. The story is the husband um, uh, of the couple... He was walking in New York City, and everybody is watching the news. You know, everybody is gripped by what's happening in the Cuban Missile Crisis. The world, as they know it, may end any second. And so everyone is gripped watching the TVs through the shop windows. And what he sees is everybody's stopping in the street watching uh, the TVs. And one of the people watching the TVs is this young mom. There's this young mom who's watching the TV, and she's with a stroller. And he looks at the child inside the stroller. Everybody else is watching these TV screens, terrified and anxious, and he sees this little child. And that's where he gets the inspiration for his song. And he writes a song, do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? And what he's saying is that everybody else is gripped by the Cuban Missile Crisis. Everybody's looking at the same thing. Everybody's worried, and and, and everybody is gripped by all this fear and anxiety. But you know what? I see something different. I see a ray of hope in all that's happening. And so he writes this song and he imagines the wind at Jesus' birth telling the lambs and the lambs telling uh, the shepherd boy and the shepherd boy telling the king, do you hear what I hear? Or do you just see what everybody else sees? 
Or do you actually see what I see? Do you see what's unique, what's happening, or are you just watching what everybody else is watching? Or are you just listening to what everybody else is listening to? And the climax of the song, it says, listen to what I say, the child, the child, he will bring us goodness and light. The child, do you see what I see? I see the child who's gonna bring us goodness and light. In the Gospel of John, uh, the Apostle John is saying the same thing. He's saying, the light of the world came into the world, but nobody actually saw him. Nobody saw him for who he was. And because of that, they didn't actually capture the goodness and light that he stepped into the world with. So the question is, do you see what I see? Or do you just see what everybody else sees this Christmas? And some of you are kind of gearing up and saying, oh, here he goes again. The preacher, every Christmas, saying um, Christmas is not about shopping. You know, Christmas is about keep Christ in Christmas. And so here's that message again. Yes and no. Um, I, am going to, I am going to basically say that. But I'm going to ask, do you know what it means? You know, is this just Jesus' birthday? You know, God bless the minis uh, for, you know, what, what they said on that video. It's Jesus' birthday, and God bless them for that. But do we, as adults, know, under, know and understand what it means that he came? Or do you just see what everybody else sees this Christmas? Or do you see what the Apostle John saw in John 1 when he said the light of the world came into the world? Some people understood it, but most people didn't. And so, today, I want to ask the question, do you know what it means? that he came into the world. And if we want to know what it means, if you want to see what the Apostle John saw, there are three things that we need to see. One, we need to know what it means that he came into the world. Secondly, we need to receive what it means that he came into the world. And finally, for you to really get it, you have to feel. You have to feel what it means that he came into the world. So know, receive, and feel uh, what it means that he came into the world. And I think that if we are able to grasp that this Christmas, whether it's your first time at church or your thousandth time at church. I think if we're able to grasp that today, then we'll be able to actually see what God wanted us to see in Christmas. And so if you would bow your heads, we're going to pray and ask God to help us as we open up his word together. Father, uh, we come to you and this Christmas we want to understand what the Apostle John was talking about. And we want to be able to understand what it means that you came and what you wanted us to know about you coming so, Father, I just want to ask that you would speak and that your Holy Spirit would go out to your people and that we would be able to receive what you have given to us this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we begin, the first thing um, that we need to talk about is, um, do you know what it means? Do you know what it means that Jesus came? Um, let's read verse 9 and 10 again. This is what the Apostle John says. He said, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world did not know him. John is saying here that Christmas is the ultimate undercover boss moment. If you guys have ever seen that show, the undercover boss show is the show where the founder or the boss of a company goes undercover and goes into the very company that he created or the very company that he leads, and nobody knows who he is, but he goes into this company and he sees how things are actually being run. 
and most people don't recognize him or know him, this is exactly what the Apostle John is saying that happened. Jesus Christ came into the world that he created. The world was made through him, and yet he came into the world and nobody recognized him. Nobody recognized him as he came into this world. Now, one of the reasons why nobody recognized him is the way he came into the world. Right? Many of us know it's the, he's born in a manger. He's born in a very humble way, um, but it's, it, it's in such a way that it was hard to recognize him. You see, I don't know if you guys remember, um, I remember in my social media feeds when the Prince of Cambridge was going to be born. I don't follow the royal family. I don't know all of their names. And yet, during the time uh, when uh, Prince William and the, um, the Duchess of, of Cambridge were about to have a baby. I remember my Facebook and Instagram were filled with, with news, the CNN too, and, and all these different news sites, filled with news that the Prince of Cambridge was going to be born. And they had all of this information about how she was you know, preparing and where they were going to have the baby. And there were uh, news reporters all around the House of Windsor because this royal couple in England was about to have a royal baby. And they knew this baby before the baby was even born. And there was so much speculation about what they were going to name the baby. There was all of this news because this baby was being born in the right way, in royalty, on the top class. It was being born in a way where everybody knew the baby was being born. Jesus was the very opposite. The king of the world was coming, and yet there were no newscasters where he was being born. I would say that maybe there were 10 people who were actually interested in the entire world that the king of the world was coming into the world. Maybe 10 people. Now, the reason that Jesus was born this way is not just because he was a humble king, but it actually teaches us something about why he came into the world. It helps us to know why he came into the world. If you think about the way that Jesus was born, Jesus was born with maybe every disadvantage that you could think of that could happen to a kid when he's born. He was born in that time the wrong skin color because the Jews were not in power. The Romans were. He was born the wrong skin color for that time. He was born into the lowest class. His parents were poor. Not only that, his parents were poor, the wrong skin color, and had a messed up marriage story because everybody knew that she was pregnant before she got married. He was born into that situation. He was also born a refugee. Now, I know we don't know many refugees, but I I read an article this week about these refugees coming from Myanmar trying to get to Malaysia. Stories of the horrors of what happened on that ship on the way to Malaysia. And a part of me asked, how do you treat people like that? How could you do that to human beings? And I think the reason, maybe one of the reasons why they could do things like that to human beings is because when they are refugees trapped in a boat and they basically have no rights and they have no homeland, they have no citizenry, You don't actually treat them like human beings. That's what happens to refugees, is they don't have rights, and they're not treated the way that all the rest of us are treated. Jesus was born in that situation, maybe in a situation where every disadvantage that you could throw at a kid, that's how Jesus was born. And what that means is, look, Jesus was not only born in that way because he was a humble king, Jesus was born that way to show us 
why he was coming into the world. You see, Jesus was not born at the house of Windsor. He was born in a dark place to a low family to show us what he's coming to do. Jesus is coming to redeem the dark places of this world. You see, he's coming to address the curse as far as it is found. He's coming to the dark places because he's coming to actually redeem the world. He's not coming to just bring us a nice Christmas story. You see, he's born into the very place that he wants to change. He wants to to change the very things that he's born into, and that's why the light is born in darkness. Because you see, he's telling us, this is why I'm coming. I'm addressing these things. You know, an undercover boss, all the tension moments are when you know when the boss is seeing things that he does not want to see. When he's seeing things in his company where he thinks, this is not the way it should be. This is not the way that I designed it. This is not the way that I envisioned it when I made this company, when I founded this company. That's exactly why Jesus is being born into darkness. Because he's being born and sent to the very places where he says, this is not the way it should be. Refugees should not be treated this way. A broken system should not look like this. People should not use power and abuse people like this. There should not be poverty and crime. And people should not have to live like this just because they're born a certain skin color. You see, he's born in a manger not just because he's a humble king. He's born in a manger because he's telling you what he's here to do. Do you know why he came? He came not to bring us Christmas cheer, but he came to bring us radical redemption, radical redemption for this world, this broken world, and that's why your Savior is laying in that manger. You see, I think that that's something that we need to know. If, if we're actually going to see what the Apostle John saw, if we're going to actually see Christmas the way that we're supposed to see it, we have to see and know why he came. He's coming to do something big. He's not coming to do something nice. You see, nice is a feeling that we get every Christmas. I was just at the Rockefeller Center last night, and you get this nice feeling, right, in front of uh, Fifth Avenue and all that you see. It's nice. But nice isn't exactly what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came, as it says in the song and in John, he came to bring good, not nice. And here's the difference. Santa Claus comes to bring nice, right? He comes to see if you've been naughty or nice. But here's the thing about nice. Nice doesn't actually change you. Nice doesn't actually affect you. Nice runs into a person who's ruining his life, and nice says, you know, I probably shouldn't say anything. It's not really my business. I just met the guy. I really shouldn't say anything. I I should stay out of this. That's what nice does. Nice is politically correct. Nice is polite, and nice is really comfortable. That's what Santa Claus brings. He wants to make sure, Santa Claus wants to make sure you're nice, not Jesus. Jesus comes with goodness, and goodness is really, really different. One of the things that um, I find every time that I walk new believers through the New Testament I have a couple of brothers that I'm walking um, through the book of John right now. And every time you do that, you kind of um, have new believers and you're walking them through the Bible. One of the things that they always often 
um, encounter is they're surprised. They're surprised by Jesus' actions. Right? They're surprised by the way that Jesus is and the way that he behaves and the way that he talks because that's not the way that I expected Jesus to be. And I don't know if you guys have expe- uh, experienced that or you've walked somebody through the Bible and they ask, what? why is he like that? Why is he making a whip of cords and using violence? Why is he speaking to people and making them feel really uncomfortable? Why is he confronting people and making them feel uneasy? That's not the Jesus that I expected. That's not the kind of Jesus that a lot of people expect. They expect him to look a lot more like Santa Claus than Jesus. And the reason that the real Jesus makes uh, people feel uncomfortable when you walk them through the New Testament is because Jesus did not come to bring nice. Jesus came to bring good. Because good actually changes people. Good actually changes things when nice stays apart. You know, every uh, Christmas, I read the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Most, if you're part of Mosaic, you know that, and you're probably annoyed by the fact, because every Christmas, you're going to hear about Narnia. Um, I'll tell you a little bit why I do read Narnia um, every Christmas, but there's a part where uh, Mr. Beaver is trying to explain to this little girl, Lucy, what Aslan is like. And Aslan is the Christ figure of Narnia. And he's trying to help her understand what Aslan is like, because, you know, she's a little girl, She doesn't really have the complex categories that we have to understand such a being. And so she hears that he's a lion. And the first question that she asks is what? Is he a nice lion or is he a dangerous lion? Her question is, is he safe? Is he a safe lion? Mr. Beaver looks at her and he says, safe. Lucy, don't you hear what we've been talking about? What a word to describe Aslan, safe. She says, he's not safe. Don't you understand what we're saying to you, he says. He's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. What he's saying is, he's not going to be a nice lion the way you expect him. He's going to confront you. He's going to come to you because he's bringing good. What Mr. Beaver is saying, when you look at Jesus, the baby in the manger, you may look at Jesus, the baby in the manger, and you may see cuteness, softness, warmness, niceness. Those are the feelings that you might get at this season. But Mr. Beaver says, when you look at that baby, don't think he's safe. He's good, but he's not safe. He's not nice. He's the king, I tell you. The king is coming. And he's coming to change things. Do you know why he came? Do you know why he came? Do you know why Christmas is here? That's the first thing. You need to know. If you want to see what the Apostle John saw at Christmas, if you want to see what God wants you to see this Christmas, you have to know why he came. He came to bring radical redemption. He did not come to make you feel warm. In and of itself, he came to bring change. The second thing we need to know is not only know why he came, but we actually need to receive why he came. And this is harder than you think. We need to receive how he came. Now, you may think, oh, well, he's come, and he's come to remake the world. He's come to bring redemption, and he's come to fix the world. That sounds great. You know, what's the problem? I'm okay with that. I'm all in. Let's do that. Well, uh, not so fast. It's not so easy because... When John, he says, the light of the world has come into the world, the surprising thing is that the people don't respond with reception, the people respond with rejection. 
Let me read to you verses 9 to 11 one more time. This is what John says happened when Jesus came into the world. He says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. That was our first point. They didn't know why he came. But secondly, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see, that's different than didn't understand. Even when they began to understand why he came, they rejected why he came. They rejected the king. They rejected him coming to do change in this world. In fact, right after the most famous passage in the Bible, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Right after that, this is the response. And sometimes we miss this part. In John 3, it says, The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Right? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and he sent his son into the world to save you, but the world said, no thank you. No thank you. We don't need a savior. You see, it, it may sound good initially that he's come to redeem and to remake the world. That's what Christmas is all about. And yet, it, it, there's something about us that doesn't want him. And this is the reason, according to the Bible, According to the Bible, the reason that we reject him is because we have sin inside of us. In other words, Jesus comes to bring good and light. Jesus comes to bring good, but we're not good. We don't actually love good as much as you would think. There's a part of us that actually loves the bad. That's what he's saying here, that he came into the world with light, but men loved the darkness, and so they rejected the Savior. You see, that's why that song, Joy to the World, there's this call, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Receive him. And that's not as easy as you would think. It's easy to receive nice. What's the problem? No problem in receiving nice. There's nothing really hard about that. Receiving a king, though, it requires some thought and it requires some reflection because the people love the darkness and therefore rejected the king. I told you I, I read uh, Narnia every Christmas, and, and this is the reason I read Narnia. For me, um, I'm not really sentimental about Christmas, not naturally. Um, and Christmas can get really too familiar, you know, for me. I don't know if you guys can get that feeling. Like, Christmas, it just feels like I get it. I've known it since I was a kid. You know, there's nothing really, there's nothing new for me. And so, because it's so familiar, sometimes I, I need to see things afresh, see things new, and rediscover what the truths of God are. And I think that Narnia is an aid to that for me. Um, I know that not everyone has read it, but the story is that these children find this kind of closet. It's a magical closet, and they look through, uh, they walk through the closet. In English, it's called a wardrobe. And they walk through this wardrobe, and uh, little girl Lucy walks in, and it's the woods, you know. And it's all the stuff that you would expect in the woods. There's snow, there's trees. And you would expect, when you walk into a magical woods in a fictional story, all of these things. You would even expect animals and fawns and dragons. You would expect all these different things. Except, the first thing that she sees as she begins to come out of the woods is something that surprises her. She sees a lamppost. She sees a lamppost. That's the first thing that she sees at the edge of Narnia. 
Now, here's the thing about lampposts. In England, where she's from, she probably has walked past hundreds of lampposts every week and never looked at it. And yet, when a lamppost is in the middle of the woods, you wonder, what is this doing here? It's such a strange thing. And she stares at the lamppost. And she's staring at it wondering, what is this lamppost doing here? I think that's what C.S. Lewis meant for Narnia to be for adults. It was, it was written for children, but when adults read it, I believe that we get the greatest blessing because Christmas can be too familiar for us, that we miss all the truths, and yet when the truths of God are seen in an unfamiliar place, we stop and we look and we think, what is a biblical truth doing in a story about lions and witches and fawns? What is this doing here? And we stare at it. Because it's new. Look, Christmas is too familiar to all of us. And and we need to take some time and to rediscover Christmas. And and we have to rediscover the truths that are in Christmas. There are four kids who walk into Narnia. One of those kids is is a kid named Edmund. And he's different than the rest of the kids. Because Edmund has done some bad things. I think that that's really what differentiates him from the other kids. He's done some bad things. He's tricked his siblings. He's actually put their lives in danger. He's gone over to the dark side. Edmund's different than the other kids. And that's why for Edmund, while all the other kids are waiting for Aslan to come and save the day, there's something in Edmund that doesn't want Aslan to come. There's something inside Edmund that's a little bit nervous that Aslan is going to come because he's done some bad things. And he doesn't know how Aslan is going to react to that. You see, I think C.S. Lewis, he put Edmund in that story because he wanted to tell kids, children, you are valiant like Peter. You are pure like Susan. You are kind like Lucy. But you know what, children? You are also wicked like Edmund. It's a hard truth to tell to kids. But I think it was put in there to help them understand that there is a wickedness about us that needs to be addressed. And that makes us not want a king to come. That makes us not want redemption to come. And so he goes to the white witch. And the white witch offers him a Turkish delight on the sleigh. She brings him up. And she sees that he's suffering and he's had a hard time. So she gives him this Turkish delight that really... It's a dessert if you've never had it. It's just this little sweet. And it represents her bringing comfort to Edmund, bringing him comfort instead of redemption. And maybe Christmas is like that for you. In this time, you're not actually thinking about what it means that Christ came. But at the end of 2020, you're looking for a little bit of comfort. You're looking for a little bit of nostalgia. And that's what Christmas does for you. And that's all fine. But if it keeps you from redemption, my brothers and sisters, it's the white witch's Turkish delight. It keeps you from Aslan. It keeps you from what Jesus came to give to you. And maybe that's all we're looking for. A little bit of comfort at the end of a tough year. But brothers, to tell you that there's something far greater that is available to you in Jesus Christ. He has come to give us so much more than that. And I want to warn you about only being nostalgic at Christmas. 
I want to warn you about not thinking about Christ in Christmas. Thinking about what he's come to give. I want to warn you against that. That keeps you away from the great thing. And it dampens your appetite for the redemption that God has come to give. I think that if you reverse Mr. Beaver's question to the white witch, you'll get an understanding. If you say the white witch, is she good? Mr. Beaver would say, she's not good, but she's safe. She'll make you feel safe. She'll make you feel comfortable. You can live in sin. Is that all Christmas is to you? Or do you see what the Apostle John sees? That the light of the world has come to give you far more than nostalgia. Do you see what he sees? If you want to know, you have to receive that he's come to change you. He's come to address you. You have to know why he came. You have to actually receive redemption. And finally, in order to do that, you have to actually feel what it means that he came. This is what I mean by that. Um, When you hear that redemption is coming, and you hear kind of this message that a savior is coming, a king is coming, and he's come to deal with all the bad things in you, there could be kind of this ominous feeling of guilt, right? Oh, he's coming to deal with me. He's coming to, to expose me. And that, that can make you feel anxious or guilty. But actually, the intention of God in bringing a savior to the world is not to put you in anxiety or in guilt or in fear, but the intention of God in saving a redeemer and sending a redeemer and not sending someone nice is to give you joy. It's to give you joy, unspeakable joy. And you might be wondering, what, he's coming to expose me and that's supposed to make me feel joyful? How does that work? You know, if you're coming to expose me, you're going to make me scared. And God is saying, actually, I'm sending a savior to show you joy. And, and this is how um, it works. When you see the baby Jesus actually grow up, you begin to see the nature of the light. And what you would expect in a coming redeemer, in a coming king, is that once this child grows up, he's going to vanquish darkness. He's going to come with a flaming sword, and because he is the light, he's going to chase out darkness, and he's going to chase out sin. He's going to chase out all these things that are ruining the world because he's come to fix the world. That's what you would expect. That's what the disciples expected. But the surprise of Jesus Christ is this. Instead of vanquishing those in darkness, what you see when he grows up is he begins to befriend those in the darkness. He begins, instead of to chase out the tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes, he's eating with the sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. You're wondering, what's going on? I thought he was here to vanquish darkness, and he's befriending those who are in darkness. He's sitting and eating with them. He's speaking compassionately to them. He's being tender and mild to them. And you see, that's the great surprise of the gospel. The great surprise of the gospel is that redemption comes not through strength and force, but that redemption comes through tender grace. Tender grace. And my brothers and sisters, this is one of those truths that you have to rediscover about Christmas. If it's too familiar for you, it won't change you. 
You have to rediscover that a redeeming king came and instead of vanquishing sinners, sat with them and eventually died for them. If that no longer surprises your heart, joy will be hard. There's something about us that we need to rediscover that truth. He came with grace, and that's supposed to give us joy. In John 8, um, Jesus is you know, fully grown. He is the light of the world. He's fully grown. And the Pharisees bring to him a woman who has committed adultery. And they say to him, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. And the law tells us that we ought to stone her. Now, in 2020, after the Me Too movement, we should be asking, if you caught her in the middle of adultery, where's the guy? You didn't drag him here, too? You just dragged the woman? Why did you do that? If you caught her in the act, you saw her with a man. Where is he? There's no man. Because the system is broken. Because there is injustice, there is imbalance, there is brokenness, there is abuse of power. There are all these things that Jesus was born into that he wanted to redeem. That's why he was born in a manger. There's all these things here. And so they drag this woman to him. And they say, we're supposed to stone such women. What do you say? He's asking Jesus to give the final word to execute her. And Jesus instead he gets down on his knees and he begins to write on the sand, the, the ground with his finger. And now none of us know what he wrote. Not exactly. It doesn't tell us what he wrote. But then after he writes, he stands back up and he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the first stone. And then he bends back down and he starts writing again in the ground. Now we don't know exactly what he wrote, but my speculation is that he's probably writing something from God's word. Something from God's word that reveals the sin in the men. Something that reveals the sin that is in these powerful Pharisees and showing that, you know, if you actually looked at God's word, you too should be stoned. Because what happens is, after he starts writing in the ground, the Pharisees, they start leaving one by one. The older ones leave first. I think that they're smarter. And they see, oh, I don't need to see anymore. I see where this is going. And the older guys leave first, but the younger guys stay a little bit. They want to see the rest of it. They start moving away one by one. Because Jesus, what's he doing? The light of the world has come, and he's begun to expose those who reject him. The light of the world is exposing those who did not receive him, but only wanted to test him. You know, I wonder how many of you are at the service just wondering, maybe I'll give God a shot. Do you have a heart that's calloused and is testing God this service? Or are you like the woman? Are you like me? Bad. Sinful. Are you a sinner like me? Are you a sinner like her? There's something in her who knows that she needs repentance and redemption. That she needs a Jesus who is not just nice. Who would turn away from this moment and say, you know what, this is not my business. But would actually be good. 
Something in her that recognizes that she needs redemption. She doesn't need political correctness. She needs somebody who would actually stand up and expose these men and even expose her, but forgive her. He picks her up and he says to her this, "Um, woman, where are they? Has anyone condemned you? And she looks up and all, all of them are gone. She says, no one, Lord. No one's condemned me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. When the light of the world grows up, the surprise of who he is, is he is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy to those who would repent and those who would receive him. It says in John 1, 13, he gave, he gave the privilege of becoming children of God. You see, that's the surprise of the light, is that he came to restore and he came to give new birth through grace. Hark the herald angels sing. You guys remember the verse we just sang? Um, what, what does it say? It says, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Why did he come? He didn't come to kill and maim those who are in darkness. He came to give us a second chance. That's the surprise of the gospel, that he actually came, that all of that judgment that was deserved by those who are in darkness, he would take on himself. And he would come and give us, instead of death, he would give us another chance, another birth. And he would give us grace instead of judgment. Now do you see two things why, number one, we need a good, good savior and not a nice one. That's why we need a good Christmas. We need a Christmas about redemption, not a Christmas about cheer. And secondly, do you now see why all the Christmas songs are about joy. Because he came and gave us grace to the people who least deserved it. If we would go to him in repentance, then we are those people who receive that grace from him and filled with unspeakable joy. See, that's the promise of Christmas. That's the joy of Christmas. That's the jubilation of Christmas. That when we repent, The God who comes in goodness actually gives us new birth. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm really glad that you're here. But I want to tell you the reason why uh, Christians rejoice in the Lord so much. It's not because we're any good. Not because we're better than you. We're really, really not. It's because we found a Savior. And the Savior who came to the world to save the world didn't judge us like we thought that he might, but instead he gave us grace and he walked in kindness and mercy towards us. And so all of us at this church, churches all over the world, we sing hallelujah because he is our savior and he gave us such mercy. And I invite you to think about that, a savior who's not just nice, not the kind of Jesus that you might expect in the Bible, but a savior who's good and a savior who actually dies so that we can have second birth. And lastly, to those who are believers, before I close, I want to give you one word um, of application. 
a heart application. It's kind of an audacious one because it's Christmas. Um, I'm supposed to immediately make you feel good. But I know that Christmas cheer isn't going to do it. It's not going to help you see what the Apostle John saw. I'm going to actually call you, brothers and sisters, to repentance. To repentance. Because the Redeemer came so that those who repent can have second birth. Why was that woman protected by his grace and not exposed? There's a repentance in her heart. There's a repentance. And for us, brothers and sisters, in order for us to experience the joy, there needs to be repentance. Or else, you can have a Turkish delight. And you can enjoy Christmas for a week. You can have holiday cheer for a week. Or, you can see what the Apostle John saw. That an actual redeemer was coming into the world. That those who fall on your knees... Hear the angel voices and repent will actually be filled with joy. It's an audacious, I guess, application because I'm asking you to repent at Christmas. But I'm doing it because I know that he's a redeemer and that he will give you true unspeakable joy if you do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. And I just want to ask you as we begin to pray... Do you see where the joy comes from? Do you see where the joy comes from? He has come and he has brought us salvation and he has given us mercy and grace. And today, I ask you to see that joy anew, like a lamppost in Narnia, that it would be new and fresh to you and that you would be able to see that his grace is what gives you this joy. And that today, we would see that through our repentance and through his redemption, that he's able to give us a joy that lasts. And so today I want to proclaim to you good news of great joy, that God had sent a Savior who is good, but instead of vanquishing sinners, he's given us mercy and grace so that those who repent, we will be able to participate in the great joy of his redemption. Let's go to him in prayer together. Father, we just want to uh, come to you and say, um, you know, every Christmas, we don't necessarily see what you see. We don't necessarily hear what you hear. And yet, uh, we want to say we want to. Because we know that if we see what you see, then we won't just have kind of a superficial cheer. But if we're actually able to see what you see, then we'll be able to see redemption, change fixing of broken things fixing of broken people broken systems what you came to do and if we see you for who you are really um, we'll be able to actually be able to have joy beyond circumstances knowing that a redeemer has been sent to fix all that is broken and dark about this world so father I pray that you would bring us into repentance knowing that you are merciful 
Father, through that, I pray that you would give us deep, deep joy. You have given us joy through redemption, not through superficial things, not through small things, but you came to do a big thing, to change us, to give us second birth. And so may your people today see that and respond with unspeakable joy. Let us receive our King and respond with thanksgiving, singing, and I pray that you would give us that deep joy in Christmas together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and respond to him in praise together.